great Scott. The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion. With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Amazing, amazing today. Everybody that came in the game, you guys did your jobs. And most importantly, once again, we keep saying it. We talked about it in the shoot-around, but keeping our poise and staying together. Staying together through it all. They made their runs. We just kept playing. Jackson, way to come in and play big. Everybody. Hey, keep believing in each other. This is what it's about. Okay, you guys are freaking killers keep grinding like you're doing okay this is amazing to be a part of we got we going home and you know it's gonna be rocking so let's get out here yeah. 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 right together all three one two three together the new orleans pelicans even the series against the phoenix suns last night if you stayed up for it what a game what a performance from brandon ingram who was plus 18 incredible Big time. It was a uh, a fun game, a game with a notable injury, to say the least, on Phoenix's side, a game where the Pelicans stayed in it in the first half despite Devin Booker going off. You look at the first half stats, you're like, how are they only down five? Here you go. But Brandon Ingram, 37 points, 11 boards, nine assists. The series is tied at one, heading back to NOLA. Everyone that's like, oh, it's going to be a sweep. They're going to do this. They can't do that. I told y'all, there's no way they were getting swept. Depending on how long Devin Booker is out, you might have a series. Now, look, Phoenix, if they know he's out going into a game, the game plan will be different. They'll adjust. But if you hadn't been paying attention to the Pelicans and you just looked at the overall record heading into the postseason, they'll get swept. Yeah, they're not going to do anything. Then you haven't been paying attention. That whole locker room after the game was a vibe. That's a big you win, right? Yeah! That's a big you win, right? Yeah, man. Good job, Larry. Good job, Larry. Hey, 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 hey. I expected to win this game. Sure. I expected to win this game. I expected to get one. There you go. That was uh, Larry Nance Jr. and C.J. McCollum in the locker room shortly after the win and got yourself a series, guys. Got yourself a series. Hello, everyone. This is the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Got a great show for you this morning. Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights, the SB Nation Law covering the Pelicans, friend of the program, friend of mine, will be on at 7.15 to talk about the series between the Pelicans and the Suns, what unfolded last night, among other things. Ragey Cajun and LSU baseball last night in Baton Rouge at the Wally Pontiff Jr. Classic, the fourth inning. That's the story, right? That's the story. 
LSU got it done in the fourth in a big way, and that was the difference in the game. But we'll talk more about LSU-UL on the diamond when we come up at 8 o'clock with Anthony Babineau, assistant coach for Louisiana's Raging Cajuns. He'll join us. But the five-run fourth inning was the big difference. Eight for the final last night. On the softball side of things, we'll get into that a little bit as well. A win on the road against a ranked team in Illinois. Sam Landry pitched great for six innings, allowed only one run. It was unearned. I'm sorry, for five innings. UL, it's 1-1 for a while after the first inning. Then it's 2-1 when they get, uh, well, it was 1-1 for a little while. Then it was 2-1 after a pass ball score. And then kind of riding 2-1 for a while. Illinois ties it up in the uh, bottom of the seventh to extend it to extra innings. But then the Cajuns get it done in the eighth score, too, and boom. But last night, tell you what. Y'all going to hate if you want. Like Jay. Boy, it, it, it warms my heart when people get upset about the Pelicans being good. Says they're lucky. No Paul George. Booker's hamstring injury. I was looking forward to a sweep, but as long as they lose, I'm satisfied. Also bleep the play in. Ah. Keep hating. Let the Pelicans fans enjoy themselves. Whether they win one game, whether they win six games, whoever's playing, who's ever not playing. All this hate. All this hate in your heart. Because people are enjoying themselves watching this team that everybody said couldn't do anything and no one cared about. and Everybody that stuck with the team enjoying themselves, especially after a playoff win last night. It's not like they have a long list in, in illustrious history of tons of playoff wins. Enjoy it when you get it. Luck. Yeah. Brandon Ingram's just lucky. That's all it is. People are mad, mad. I was getting DMs last night from people. Oh, it's, who cares? I care. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. It was fun. Regardless of what happens Friday or Sunday or in this series, I'm going to enjoy it. And I enjoyed last night. And I had trouble going to bed. I had trouble going to bed. Those late games, you know, I, I'm... I'm Hopped up on a lot of caffeine right now, but at some point, like mid-morning, it's going to... I don't know. I might have to drink, like, Diet Mountain Dew and coffee today. Boat lines are open, too. 337-269-1077. If you want to sound off before we bring Ali Cassell on at 715, let's head to the phone lines. Good morning. Welcome into the show. Hey, man. I, uh... I fell asleep last night at halftime. I couldn't hold out. And when I woke up, the first thing I did was, it's kind of like you ever watch Willy Wonka where he opens a chocolate, he opens it really slow and tries to, like, hope that he sees a gold ticket. I got on Twitter, and I was like, let's see what Scott said. Hopefully it's some good news. And then you said something about not sleeping well, but at least it was good news. I was like, wait, they came back? What? And so I go to Sports Center. I mean, just being in an and scroll. And I'm like, what happened? So apparently... Big third quarter and big fourth quarter is what I'm guessing, right? Well, Devin Booker, Devin Booker um, hurt his hamstring in the third quarter, 
And Phoenix offensively obviously missed him because he, you know, he couldn't miss in the first half. Uh, he was basically the Pelicans were getting out in transition extremely fast. They were using Jackson Hayes the right way, and they who was it that threw the pass? I don't remember who threw it to him, but Jackson catches it on the run, and Devin's trying to catch up with him, and he pulled a hammy, and it was I think at like the four minute mark of the third. Um, and by the way, he didn't score for the first eight minutes of the third. Uh, and so he checked out, and Brandon Ingram went off. The Pelicans had their best three-point shooting uh, game of the season and uh, their best in playoff history. Again, it's not like it's the most long, illustrious history, but a lot of things went right. Like so the open looks they were getting in game one in the late first and early second quarter of that game, they got a lot of those looks in the third, and they were just knocking them down. And, I mean, McCollum had a great game. But Brandon Ingram, 37 points, 11 boards, 9 assists. Excuse me, 11, yeah, 9 assists. I mean, he, was a, he was an assist away from a triple-double. He was, it, it was, and he'd been waiting for a moment like that. I mean, it's only his second playoff game ever. And uh, the Pelicans outscored Phoenix by 18 when Brandon Ingram was on the floor. He played 39 minutes last night. Next closest was McCollum at plus 11. It was, it was Brandon Ingram's night. And, you know, I was looking at the stats from the first two games, and, like, I'm not trying to say, like, the Pelicans are going to win at seven or six or whatever, but if you look at the just the stat line, the story tells me that the Pelicans out-rebound them very much so, like, very well. They beat them down low. They, make, they get way more offensive rebounds. So it looked like the difference between game one and game two outside of Booker is just they made shots. Like, game one, they couldn't buy a shot. Game two... They almost couldn't miss a shot. They also picked up the pace even more. Um, you know, the transition defense for Phoenix was not good. Uh, it wasn't, and the Pelicans took advantage of that. So, you know, look, Phoenix defensively, when they get set up in the half-court defense, they make it difficult. But even when they did late in the game, when it was tight and it was a close game, Ingram still just made some, I mean, he just made some incredible shots. Um, but from a rebounding standpoint, to your point, that's why that's why Larry Nance has been a big reason why he's been so big in the series. Because when, when Phoenix goes small and, uh, you know, Valanciunas has to come off the floor for whether it be whether it be rest, whether it be, you know, switching on defense, whatever the reason is to have Nance out there. Basically, even if he's not getting the rebound, I think he had six last night, but just being disruptive in the paint, knocking the ball out. If you're going to go small, then you then you need to win on the boards, and that's what the Pelicans have been able to do when the game's gone small. I mean, they out-rebounded him by 20 uh, the other night in a loss. They out-rebounded him by 10 last night. That's, that's big. Now, you know, the Pelicans turned it over a lot last night. I mean, that's something that if they continue to do that, you know, it, it won't be a long series. But outside of the turnovers, they did – they did a lot of other stuff right last night, and it proved to be a big difference. I mean, in the game one, didn't Valanciunas have like 25 rebounds? 25, yeah, he's, like a, he's, averaging, he's averaging 19 rebounds a game in the series. I mean, he had, he had another double-double last night. Third in the league this year, by the way, in double-doubles. Uh, but, yeah, 13 boards yeah. last night for him and only 26 minutes, 25 in game one. Uh, when he is out there, he's, he's being active. He's not the athlete that Aiton is, but he is – I mean, he's a bruiser, man. He's 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 been big for. It, it, it just it's crazy when you see them all get on the floor, especially the starting lineup. How much like how much longer and taller the Pelicans are than the Suns? Like it literally looks like 
a high school team playing against junior high when it comes to size. Like, they're just so much bigger and longer at every yeah, position. I, I mean, so, look, no, I mean, look, JaVale McGee is pretty long. And DeAndre Ayton is, a, a, is, a, is a very big is a very big man. Um, yeah, in terms of starting, I mean, Crowder, Crowder's, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not, he's big, he's not long. So I get your point from a starting standpoint, yeah. Yeah, like D.I. McCollum and Jackson Hayes and Tunis and all those guys when they're on the court, like they are much, they, they, as a core, they are much taller than the Suns. It just, it, it, when I see it, I'm like, wow, it's crazy. But anyway, man, it was, it was good to wake up and see that good news. I'm sorry you didn't get enough sleep, but I'm not. I got it was fine. It was, it was, it was fine. I'm, I'm good, good with it. All right. Take one more before we bring on Ollie. Good morning. Welcome into the show. Hello. Hey, good morning, Scott. What's happening? Well, uh, I'm in the same boat with you, man, because I stayed up and watched the whole game. Uh, it was it was definitely a hell of a game, man. Like I don't I don't know if you're gonna get a better game on playoffs for the rest of the playoffs. I mean, it was that good of a game, back and forth, and 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 even though you know the Phoenix had a five point lead at halftime, if 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 uh. Chris Paul doesn't hit the, the buzzer beater three. You well, know, that was that was it, Devin Booker. No, I think I think the first half, the fact that Booker was unstoppable, he yeah, scored yeah, thirty one, yeah, and and the fact that they were only down five. I mean, I, I I went back that that was, I know that that that's it's almost said too much when when folks are like, um, well, I mean, despite all that, you're only down this much. But but I thought I think last night it I think it made sense. It was. The, statistically, they were getting they had more turnovers. Their shooting percentage was less. Their their three point percentage was less. Booker scored thirty one. I mean, it was all over the bat. They they just didn't have an answer for him. And then you know they're only down five. Um, and and obviously, look, obviously Booker's hamstring injury was. I mean, Phoenix. Whenever you lose your best player during a game. It's it's hard to overcome that. And Chris Paul, he you know he didn't look as fresh as he did the other night. Um, his legs were a little more tired, and you know, and as a result, the Pelicans pounced. They took advantage. But you know, the Pelicans have been missing an All Star all season. I mean, when you're missing your best player, it impacts you. But when you're missing your best player and it happens during a game, you know, as the eight seed, you got to smell blood in the water. And last night they did. Credit to him for that. And, and and another big blow, which a lot of people are not going to talk about, they also lost uh, Mikael Bridges went out the game last night. Uh, so if he can't go, looks like he had maybe a knee or something. But uh, if if he can't go, that's going to be even even bigger because now you're missing two guys. You know, uh, I'm not sure if he's a starter or if he comes off the bench. Off the bench. No, he, he's a, a he's a, he, he's there was nothing last night about him being injured. Like anything, no, he's he'll he'll be there, and he's the best. He's the best. You know, he should have been defensive player of the year. He uh, he finished, I think, third in the voting this year. But no, he's that good on the defensive end, and uh, he he didn't. He played forty minutes last night. He wasn't hurt. He played more than anybody uh, in the whole game. So he so, came. So he came back in the game. Yeah, then. yeah. He's he's not hurt. He played again. He played more than anybody on the Suns last night, and he'll be he'll be somebody they got to deal with uh, on Friday. Okay, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. The Smoothie King Center is going to be rocking. And uh, it, it's just good to kind of have a, a, a good little feel. And, and Chris Paul is going to be coming back to where he, you know, where, where he uh, 
he laid some roots. So it'll be fun. Uh, it's going to be tough. Yeah. And uh, don't let anybody today rain on your parade. If they're like, oh, it's one game. Hey, who cares, man? You're happy about your team I winning. Enjoy it. Don't let, them t- don't let them take that energy from you now. Keep Be positive man, today. Six, six quarters out of eight, man. That's how I'm going to say it. Six quarters out of eight, you know. Pelicans hung with the have been hanging with the Suns six out of eight. So, and uh, you know they had a better start to game one. We got maybe uh, maybe maybe the Suns are down two zero, but we'll see. All right, thanks, man. Have a good one. All right, y'all have a good one. Bye bye. ESPN Lafayette one zero three three on the FM fourteen twenty on the AM streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. If you're listening to us via the stream, it's brought to you by Champagne's Market on the Oil Center. Champagne's going the extra mile. We'll take a timeout, come back. Ali Cassell joins me to break down more. A little bit last night, but what's to come next? What's the keys to the series so it's not just a gentleman sweep by Phoenix? We'll get into that and more. Back in two minutes, great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. He was the 1991 state champion in Nintendo. It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Scott Show coming at you on a Wednesday, 420, April 20th. Reggie Cajun softball victorious last night at Illinois. Read more about it over at the ESPN Lafayette app. Their second road win against a ranked team this year. Team's been getting better. Getting better. They'll play Indiana today. That first pitch was moved up. Because of expected rain tonight. So 1 o'clock game today on our airwaves. 12.45 pregame. Ian Ozan has the call as the Cajuns play the Hoosiers. And they'll drive seven and a half hours to Boone, North Carolina. And uh, they'll play App State this weekend. Uh, Ollie probably was up uh, later than me writing about the game. So uh, he is not answering his phone right now. And I'm not even going to blame him. If we do get Ollie on this hour, we will. But in the meantime, that leaves some things open for you guys. 337-269-1077. 337-269-1077. 
We'll hear some post-game press conference audio from a number of players. Ingram's dominant fourth quarter propelled the Pels over the Suns. Devin Booker leaving with about four minutes left in the third. His status, going to get an MRI. The team is flying into Orleans today. And uh, depending on how long he might be out, obviously would change the entire outlook of the series in a big way. Take the best player off a team. It impacts him. I think everybody would agree with that. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Uh, In addition, last night, we'll talk more ULLSU baseball in the 8 o'clock hour. Anthony Babineau is scheduled to join me. Uh, Miami beat Atlanta double digits. Jimmy Buckets, Jimmy Butler, I mean, 45 points. Shoot. Memphis, uh, they were playing with an extreme sense of urgency, handled Minnesota in game two. They are a sleeper team in the West this year in the playoffs. And then last night, Bell's Suns. Brooklyn, Boston tonight. That should be fun. Toronto, Philly, and Chicago and Milwaukee on the docket for you. C.J. McCollum last night. Uh, didn't have, you know, I, he was battling fever and a cold in the last two games. Appears to be, at least from a health standpoint, feeling better. But playing better later in games than in, in the first half of the last two. His offense seems to become doing a little bit later, just in terms of makes and comfort. But his overall stat line last night, he played 40 minutes more than anyone else on the Pels. He was plus 11 when he was on the floor. He finished with 23, nine assists, eight boards. He's two boards and assist away from a triple-double. Ingram was assist away from a triple-double. I mean, those are the guys that are going to have to lead you. Check that in terms of who played the most minutes. That actually be Herb Jones who played 41. But McCollum was 6 of 10 from beyond the arc. 7 of 18 overall and spoke last night after the win to the media. Much better second half, uh, more aggressive, more assertive. Um, running to our spots, fighting for space, finishing around the basket, uh, making an extra pass. I had a couple bad turnovers, so I got tightened up. But I thought all in all, we executed you know, pretty well against the championship caliber team. About what, what B.I. was able to do on a big stage tonight? Yeah, I just, I'm glad he gets to play on the stage. You know, this is you know, what he's been, been waiting for, what he's been looking for you know, his, his entire career. You know, a chance to show his hard work, a chance to show his skill set, a chance to show um, his mentality and his ability to take over games. And I think tonight he took the game over every facet. Passing, rebounding, dribbling the spots, getting to the free throw line, hitting threes. You got to see the full arsenal tonight. I'm thankful that he gets to play on this stage, and I'm thankful I get to be his teammate. Yeah, back in February when we asked you, you know, why you want to come to New Orleans, the first thing out of your mouth was, have you seen B.I.? <laughs> so I guess, you know, did you envision him being able to do this type of stuff on this stage? I watched him play, you know, league pass before I got traded. So I had a pretty good idea of his skill set. I knew what type of work ethic he had, what type of mentality. He's with my agency, so, you know, I was able to make some calls to kind of get an idea of, you know, his thought process, how he sees the game, how he thinks the game. Obviously, I came, we went to dinner, and we were able to kind of get on the same page, and um, I envision him being dominant, and I think he's being dominant. He's a basketball savant. He's continuing to learn, ask questions, study, you know, watching film on the table, watching film on the bus, taking care of his body now better. All those little things is, is why he's having success and why you see it on the big stage. So uh, if I said I envision 37, 9, and 9, uh, 
maybe I'll be lying, but I knew he was nice. I knew he could play at an elite level and dominate at an elite level against anybody. Yeah, and it seems like almost immediately you two were able to click on the court and, and understand how to complement each other. What did it take to kind of get to that point? Um, you just got to be willing to, to sacrifice. I think that's what it's about. The best the best players you know, know when to shoot, know when to pass, know when somebody else has it going. And, you know, I play alongside, you know, one of the best players ever play in Dame. So um, I've watched him, his, his work ethic. I watched his preparation. And uh, we figured out how to coexist, and then I ended up leaving. And now i got another player in BI who's very talented in his own right. And, um, you know, in order for us to be successful, you got to be willing to let the other person flourish. And tonight, you know, he had it going, so I tried to, like, make sure I stayed out of his way, you know, take shots when they're there, be aggressive when I need to, facilitate, still impact the game. But um, I just want to win, so I don't really care about the rest of what comes with that. I just want to do whatever it takes to, to help our team win. You guys hold uh, Chris to, I think, 5 of 16 tonight. What were, uh, I know you were doing a lot. I mean, it was a lot of switching overall tonight, <laughs> but what, uh, what, what do you think worked uh, particularly well against him tonight? I mean, we, we tried to show different stuff, but he's – He's seen it all, man. <laughs> he knows what he's doing, how to manipulate defense. He knows how to get to his spots. I think the difference was he just didn't make them tonight. You know, he hit some big shots in the fourth quarter last game. Hit a couple threes, kind of kept them afloat. But, um, you know, credit you know our staff for, for, for doing a good job. Credit our personnel for doing a good job. But also, you know, you need luck in this game, right? It's a make or miss league. Sometimes you make them, sometimes you don't. And tonight we made them and they didn't. What did you think of the job that uh, that Jackson was able to do tonight, especially in that uh, that third quarter? Yeah, he was great. He played with energy. We tried to get him more involved, understanding what his talent level is, understanding you know his motor, how aggressive he can be on both ends. You know, he got a crazy shot block, running the floor, getting dunks, finishing around the basket, making his free throws, and then he's got a tough responsibility as a young guy in the league to have to guard you know a Devin Booker or to have to switch on to a CP. That's tough, and then you got to go bang with Aiden. So uh, he's learning, he's adapting, and I'm proud of the growth that he showed tonight. You know, in a, in a tough environment against the championship caliber team, he played well. I know we've talked about the young, the rookies playing so many major minutes for you guys in the fourth and lately. Looking back for those guys, how much did not only the play-in tournament itself, but those six, seven, eight games leading up to the play-in, where it was must-wins, the Spurs game, the Lakers game, things like that. How much did that help them, you think, be prepared for an atmosphere at night like tonight? I think it definitely helped, but there's nothing like the playoffs. I mean, you have to play in it to truly understand it. And I try to explain that to him. I was like, I can't even really explain to you like the magnitude of some of these games, You know what it's going to be like, how important execution is, half court, how every game is close. You're never really out of it you know, because it's, it's such a long game. And I think they've just showed tremendous growth, not just from you know the, the two playing games and the six games we used to close the season out, but from when they were 1-12. You know what I mean? That, that takes a, a courageous group, you know, led by a, a courageous coach, you know, a servant leader who did what it took um, to get the best out of his players, and then they went and put the work in so that we could have success tonight with Jose knocking down shots, with, with Herb locking up, making his free throws, uh, with Trey knocking down shots. You know, we, we had a lot of guys who were in the G League, you know, finishing this game. To CJ's point, who was not with the team when they were 1-12, Trey Murphy playing minutes with the Birmingham squadron of the G League. Like two months ago, Jose Alvarado early in the season. Herb Jones, not so much. He was starting by game two. But you have Larry Nance who you, and, and C.J. McCollum, who you got at the trade deadline. You have Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado, who were rookies, who didn't even really play um, early in the season. Then you have Brandon Ingram. That was your closing five last night in game two of the playoffs. 
little more from CJ. And uh, CJ, as a veteran player, how do you keep the players, um, the rookie players, with that mentality? That's just the word, not the mentality of a rookie. Especially what they bring to the defense side of the of the game. Um, maybe more a little bit more about Jose Alvarado. What does he brings on the defensive side? Uh, he's fearless. He's got a lot of energy. Uh, he's going to get into you defensively, pick up full court, fight over screens. He's going to battle with the big man. I think he drew offensive foul. You know, trying to front the post. And then he's crafty. He can get in and out of pick and rolls. He's got a nice floater. His jump shot has improved a lot. I think you you've seen the video. Of him saying, "Yeah, I can shoot." He can shoot, and he's showing that, you know, hitting big shots. Um, tonight he's hit some big shots in, in some of the previous games that we've played, and he's been someone that we can rely upon late in games. And Larry talked about how difficult it could be for a young guy to have your minutes chopped in big games and still be able to respond mm-hmm. the way Jags did tonight. Just what did you think about that aspect of what he did? I thought he showed a lot of growth and maturity tonight. Uh, he, didn't, he played, what, 11 minutes in, in game one, and um, most guys would be frustrated, you know, maybe check out. And I thought, you know, he was professional. He was still, you know, jacks, you know, happy, go lucky, listening to music, dancing, all those things. And he came out and he performed well. He was aggressive. He showed the athleticism. He made the right passes in the pocket when we hit him. And uh, he's a big part of why we won tonight. You talked about how much uh, you wanted this team to get New Orleans invested in, in this group. How oh, much they you? Gonna show out. They gonna <laughs> that's, show out. That's what I was going to ask. How much are you looking forward to what game three will be like? To the crib, baby. I can't wait to see it. I'm already knowing. I played there before. I know what type of time they be on when we go back home. So I'm looking forward to, to not being in enemy territory, you know, for a little bit, and actually hearing cheers when we when we shoot and pass and, and do nice things. Pelicans left last Friday. Uh, Check that last Thursday for L.A. Not knowing if their season would continue after Friday night, but they beat the Clippers, then they flew to Phoenix. They come back to New Orleans with a split, getting ready to host a playoff game a week after they, um, over a week after they, they departed New Orleans. So should be a good atmosphere on Friday night. We got uh, Ali Cassell coming up after the break. Here is one more Q&A from C.J. McCollum. Good, uh, Jim on Zoom. He actually just answered what I was going to ask, but I, I, I was just going to ask you what, how much you're looking forward to seeing the environment. I know you've seen pretty awesome stuff from the crowd in a, in a few of the games that you played lately. I know they're going to show up and show out, and we're going to do the same. So I'm looking forward to seeing them. Hopefully it sells out in advance. And you know, I locked my tickets in with my family early so that, you know, do what y'all got to do, buy as many tickets as y'all need to. Have a great one. Thanks, all right, take a, a quick time out when we come back. Ali Cassell will join us right here on the Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Anthony Babino, assistant Rage Cage baseball coach, will join me at 8. Joining me now, my friend, 
Ali Cassell, the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights of SB Nation, which covers the New Orleans Pelicans. He and the crew also have the Bird Calls, you know, podcast. He was up late last night, like many of us. And then after the game, he was writing about it. And then after that, I don't know if he still just had, you know. it. Ollie, I just find those late games, whenever they're close, uh, you know, if the Pelicans are on the wrong end of a, of a lopsided score, okay, you know, I'll go to sleep, whatever. But when they win or it's a close game, I mean, I it's it's just going to be a while before I fall asleep. What time did you get to bed last night? Ooh, it was about four, something four? like that. Dude, four. I'm, hey, I'm sorry, man, but you don't go – Go back to sleep after this conversation, man. Yeah, maybe just for a little bit. But I'll tell you what, the Pelicans, boy, they pulled out an unexpected win, but it was an impressive win. So it's kind of hard to fall asleep and or just ignore, sleep through, you name it. I'm I'm excited. I'm going to flat out say it. I'm excited. This team is doing something special that I think none of us are, have predicted. I mean, I don't know about you, but I thought they'd maybe take a game or two of the series. Now it seems like the series is wide open. Devin Booker's injury, obviously. Um, I know some mm-hmm. Pels fans were annoyed. It, it was a big talking point. Of course it's a talking point. I mean, a player, team loses their best player. Look, his first half last night was incredible, but he left, I guess, around the four-minute mark when he was chasing down Jackson. Maybe it was slightly earlier uh, in the third quarter. Um, but I think it was around the four-minute mark and didn't come back. And obviously, you know, I think Phoenix, they're still really good. They'll be able to adjust. You're totally different without your best player. goes without saying. But when it happens during a game, you know, it's, it's, it's more difficult for a team to – to be prepared and get ready for that. And if you're the opponent, you got to smell blood in the water. I don't know that the Pelicans looked at it as this aha moment. They just kind of stuck with the game plan they had all, all along heading into the game. Um, and it, if you want to say that's kind of like smelling blood in the water, sure. But it was more of just a an approach I felt last night of this is our game plan. We're going to roll with it throughout the night. We'll make small adjustments here and there. But it felt like the game plan last night unlike game one, felt very similar from start to finish uh, for New Orleans. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Pelicans came out so much more aggressively, and Brandon Ingram was really the one that led that charge in the first quarter to where they took you know, that first frame, 30-28, to 28, scored uh, 11 points, and he wasn't settling. He was attacking the rim. And I, I just felt like it you know, permeated through the entire roster because then everybody else was picking their moments. In that second quarter, you know, C.J. McCollum and Larry Nance really carried the offense when B.I. honestly didn't even get on the scoreboard. But it was the way they were playing. They were still attacking the glass, but now they were giving you so much more effort, so much more focus, um, come up with so many steals. I thought defensively, they were in a lot more places. The only thing that couldn't change, at least in that first half, was Devin Booker, who went for 31 points. But by the time he left the game, it was, Scott, you're right. It was about the 435 mark of the third quarter. It was after trying to chase down Jackson Hayes in transition. He kind of, you know, it looks like one of his legs kind of gave out and chasing him back down. And he didn't look happy. So who knows what his stat is. I'm not even going to guess at all. But I will say that the Pelicans were up at that point, 77-74. So they were already flying high, even 
So Devin Booker hadn't left the game yet. And you feel like they probably could have even won the game had he stayed in. Because, look, Devin, great offensive player, but defensively he's not giving you anything. If not, he's probably a negative out there. So the Pelicans, they had a, a heck of a second half. 69 points. This shot lights out, right? Almost made two-thirds of their field goals. And Brandon Ingram, I mean, for as good as Brand, uh, Devin Booker was in that first half, Brandon Ingram was just sensational. He's not a three-point shooter anymore. I don't know what happened to his three-point shot, for instance. But in that game, he took those shots with so much confidence, made everything. So I'll tell you what, we saw Brandon Ingram I haven't seen yet. And for that to come out in the playoffs in his first victory – says a lot about him and this team of where they're at. 37 points, 11 boards, 9 assists. Um, now nah, he was great. He was great. And, you know, for him to be plus 18 when he was on the floor last night, McCollum was plus 11. Uh, CJ, I know offensively his shot hasn't fallen as much in the first half of the last two games, but in the second half you've seen a comfort level there. Um, I know he'd been, he'd been battling, you know, the fever and some other things. Uh, in the Clippers game and in the first Suns game, he was feeling better last night, and his game showed for it rebounding-wise, though. Whether it, it's it's Aiton and Valanciunas out there or whether the Suns are going with their small lineup and the Pelicans are putting Larry Nance Jr. in there who's having a terrific series, That when you look at some of the lopsided stats in this series, uh, on one hand, the Pelicans are on the wrong end of the turnover side of things. Obviously, they got to clean that up. But on the other side of it, from a rebounding standpoint, I mean, in two games, the Pelicans are out rebounding the Suns by 30. I mean, Valanciunas, 25 in game one, 13 last night, and only 26 minutes. But it's not even that Nan- – you look at Nance, you're like, oh, he had six boards, but his presence in the paint. And Jackson Hayes as well, being able to keep a ball alive, tip it out, whatever it might be, when Phoenix is going big or small, the Pelicans on the glass, and especially – you know, when Phoenix is hitting all their shots, it's tough because, you know, on one hand, they're scoring. On the other, they're setting up defensively in the half court where they're, where, they're, where they're good. But on those missed shots, man, to win the rebounding battle that much, it's leading to those quick buckets when they can't set their defense. The Pelicans want to win some more games in the series. I think that if that stat flips, then I think Suns, you know, they're, they're winning these games. But if the Pelicans keep owning the glass, Ollie, that to me is uh-huh. maybe I don't want to say it's it's not the least talked about thing, but it ain't talked about much. And I think it's been maybe the most to me glaring stat in these first two games. It really is because everybody that's watched Phoenix this year, even just a few games, did not notice this kind of discrepancy. You know, for instance, the Clippers, they were known for, okay, we'll play our small ball, we'll let you out rebound us or re- out rebound us we're still going to win the game because defensively we're going to be on point. We're going to make our shots, et cetera, right? They play to their strengths. But the Suns, you're seeing a team that all of a sudden seems a little shaken up. They expect to perform better on, on, on the glass, and I think that's a big key for them. I mean, DeAndre Ayton's an incredible center. You know, he's looking at a new contract uh, extension, or maybe he'll have to sign with somebody else because they didn't extend him last summer. And he's the guy that can really own the glass for them. They've got also a lot of other good players that crash the board, including their backcourt. You know, Booker and Chris Paul can get you five almost every night. So, yeah, I mean, again, that goes to show what the Pelicans, how, first of all, Valanciunas, 
he's just been a machine going after every rebound. He literally was fighting in that first half against two or three sons. And the only way they would stop him is if they were pulling him down like bridges. He grabbed him by the arm, yanked him down. And then, of course, you got to mention the athleticism, I feel like, of Nance and, and Hayes. Jackson, who had, you know, two kind of poor playing games, very first bad opening game against these sons. He played it outstanding. In the first minute, he's got a block and two offensive rebounds. And then in the third quarter, he was the one I feel like changed the momentum by getting to the rim uh, on in transition, grabbing some rebounds, and, of course, come up with those blocks. The Suns honestly looked like they were shell-shocked to me. So if the Pelicans keep playing to their strengths on living in the paint, and, of course, if all these guys, the young guys especially, right, the rookies, Jackson, Najee, if they can step up and produce, yeah, all of a sudden the Suns are in a dogfight of a series that they certainly didn't expect. Well, it, it, how are you playing down the stretch, right? I mean, it's been it's been said a lot, Ali, teams started 1-12. Oh, well, they had to win two playing games. Oh, they're, they're 10 games below 500. Oh, how are you playing heading into the postseason, right? Like the Bulls, the Bulls had a much better season mm-hmm. than the Pelicans. But if you looked at how the Bulls were playing late in the season as opposed to the first half, they, they're not an eight seed, but they were kind of playing like an eight seed, right? The Pelicans, they had to win two to get in, but it's not like down the stretch they're playing like an eight seed. I mean, the last 14 games with Brandon Ingram, they're 11 and three. And two of those exactly. were, were, were at Phoenix, one of which I'm counting was last night. It's, 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 it's not like, well, this team's kind of just about, I mean, I remember the New Orleans Hornets and one year Tim Floyd coached the team. Um, they lost the first round series to the Heat. Wayne Wade was a rookie. It went seven games. But they were 41 and 41, and there was never really any big ebbs and flows, this pendulum swinging really extreme one way or the other. They just kind of played around 500 ball all season. And then that's the team you got in the playoffs, right? Like, yeah, like about a 500 team, right? Not sure. This team isn't 500, right? They're, they need to have won five mm-hmm. more games to be it, but they are much better than that team was, even as an eight seed heading into it because of the journey they've taken up to this point. And I guess that's what that's the part of this team that if you follow them this year has made them so resilient, but also so enjoyable to watch. I mean, it's, you know, how it is, Ali. I mean, we've seen some new Orleans teams pack it in um, many times. I, I, I got to admit it many times whenever you get to post all-star break and your record is what it is. And okay, we're just going to kind of start quote playing for the future. It was never the case with this team, not once. Um, and as a result, they're getting, just invaluable experience, and now they're in a dogfight with a really good team. Yeah, look, it's not out of left field. For those people that have watched and watched this team when they've been healthy, once the C.J. McCollum trade, they're an outstanding team. And it compares to me from four years ago for when that Pelicans team entered the playoffs hot. Nobody counted them to win that uh, first-round series against the Portland Trailblazers, mm. let alone, of course, go sweep it. But they entered the playoffs. You know, they, they had a 10-game winning streak. And then, of course, they uh, entered that postseason on a five-game winning streak. And I remember looking at all those numbers and writing up, you know what, this team is not what their record says. They're actually better. If you look at their trends, their latest, you know, last 25 or so games that – People are undervaluing them, and, and I feel like the same thing is happening here. Although, honestly, I didn't see this. 
I, I'm not sure if they can still win this series, Scott. But nor am I. Nor am I. They, I, I mean, yeah. If, I mean, look, they, even even if Booker anyway. doesn't play, it's Phoenix is going to be extremely prepared. I mean, they're it's when you lose that player in a game, but it's seen how the Pelicans adjusted just after the first half of Game One, and you know, there's there's just that undeniable no quit factor. But um, you know, I, I'm with you. I, I don't. I'm not sitting here telling you on this morning. Oh, they're winning the series. But think of any—if you told anybody last week when they left for LA on Thursday, yeah, there'll be a home game in New Orleans eight days from now, and the series will be tied one to one. I know every Pelicans fans would have signed up for that in a second. Exactly. And look, we've seen—I think—the highs and lows just through two games, and we've seen the type of variance from this team since CJ McCollum, kind of in a similar fashion to where they've lost some—they've had some bad losses over the last twenty-five, thirty games. But they've also had some incredible highs that shows that variance, their potential. I think back to the All-Star break, how they started out, and, and the fir- very first one was against the Suns, where they won by 15. Then they proceeded to go kill, what was it, the Lakers, the Jazz, and one other team I'm not thinking of. Maybe it was the Kings, I'm not sure. But we saw when, when they're on all spiring on all cylinders, when the two stars, C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, were giving you 50, 60 points, a lot of assists. Jonas is chipping in with his usual double-double. And then you've got these rookies playing well. You've got some uh, other role players, either knocking down some threes, Najee some drives, or as you mentioned earlier, Larry Nance. And boy, has he been playing well these last three games. So suddenly you've got seven or eight really good uh, positive contributors out there on the court that really can go to at times, especially given certain matchups or situations in the game. And now it's coming out to be a kind of a product where – this team's pretty darn good on offense, especially when B.I. is looking like a superstar. And defensively, they have figured out some things, and it seems like they've figured out on how to slow down the Suns. Right? Chris Paul had a very poor game yesterday, and it wasn't just because he missed a few shots. They got into him a lot more, and the same could be said of a lot of other players on the Suns roster. So this Pelicans team, they're capable of it. That's what they showed us, their potential. They, if they play up to that ability, they can beat – even the best team in the league on a given night. I, I got I to gotta say, though, uh, the funniest moment and one of my favorite moments of the series was when Chris, when Chris Paul, who's one of the best to ever do it, was coming up the floor and Jose Alvarado tried to do his let me hide in a corner and <laughs> yeah. steal it. And Chris Paul waved him over and he's like, come on, come on, just I see you, come on. Uh, it, and, you know, for Jose, a guy that said when he was young in Brooklyn, he was talking about players he really liked. He said Chris Paul, and, you know, I remember when I was a kid watching him in New Orleans with the Hornets. He's one of my favorites because of how he played the game, right? Um, and there he is last night guarding him. And, you know, you, you might fool some some guys, Jose. You're probably not going to fool Chris there. That was – some folks might not have noticed that, but I started laughing out loud. I was like, this is this is just great. I did too. God bless Jose for trying – and I guarantee Chris Paul probably looks, what, five times before he even takes his first dribble to make sure if Jose's on the court, he's going to know where he is. So, yeah, there, I don't believe that Alvarado's going to get him at all. Not Chris. No, series, man. But, that, that, that IQ, yeah. that basketball IQ is uh, one, of the, one of the highest ever, in my opinion. And he's going to be ready for Friday. It's going to be a challenge. But series tied one-to-one. Ali, I'm going to let you go back to sleep, man. Thanks for waking up for a segment. And uh, we'll talk soon, all right? Absolutely. Looks like we're going to have plenty more to talk about, right? 
Keep it going, man. Keep the series going. Roll. Keep just the longer they play, the better it is for the future. Obviously, the better it is for the present. But uh, oh, shoot. Last thing. Ten seconds or less. Have to ask you, even though I, I ask you this every time, I think I've been saying the answer is no. But is Zion going to play at any point this season? Uh, it doesn't look like it. Definitely not in this first round, unfortunately. There you go. All right. Appreciate it, Ali. All the best, man. Give him a follow on Twitter, everybody, at Ali Cassell, O-L-E-H-K-O-S-E-L. Sweet dreams, my friend. Don't go anywhere. Anthony Babino joins me next. Bab, not going to be able to be in studio today. We will talk to him on the phone line. We'll have Bab on for about 30 minutes. And then the uh, second hour, second portion of the 8 o'clock hour, we'll have open phone lines right here on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN 1420, KPEL, Lafayette. ESPN 1033, K277DQ, Lafayette. A Town Square media station. The best games, the best fans, the best on the bayou. The The best. The best. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott! The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by the Great Scott Show, the champion! With Scott Prather. Steal the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the 8 o'clock hour. Of the great Scott show. Joining me now via the phone line is assistant baseball coach Anthony Babineau. Good morning, Bab. Happy Wednesday. How's life? How are you? Good morning to you, Scott. Doing fine. Doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me this morning. Yeah, man. Always enjoy our conversations. And, um, you know, Typically, when I talk to you on a Wednesday, maybe you've, you've, you're coming off a series that did it on a Sunday. Maybe you've had a Tuesday. It feels like, I don't know why the ULM series, I know it was a Thursday, Friday, Saturday thing because of Easter. It feels like it was, <laughs> feels like it's been longer than four days. I don't, it, it just feels like it's been a minute. I, I guess it's the holiday, the game last night, but it um, feels like it's been a little while, but Briefly, before we get into last night's game, what, what what in your mind was the biggest takeaway from the series win over ULM? Well, I think the biggest takeaway was, you know, indeed the fact that it was another series win. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we had to come back from from a tough loss on Friday and respond. Saturday to win the series. So I think that's that's one of the biggest takeaways as far as the positive goes, for sure. 
You know, another big takeaway is that 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 should have been a three-game sweep. You know, the game that we dropped on on Friday just absolutely should not have happened. You know, can't happen if we want to you know reach some of the goals that that we want to reach this year. And, you know, specifically being to win the league. You know, we've got to have every game that that we should have, and we no doubt should have had that game. So. I guess a, a positive and a negative takeaway from that from that weekend. But you're right; it does seem like so long ago. I think that the added day in between, you know, with the Thursday, Friday, Saturday series, the Sunday, you're so entrenched and involved in family, you kind of forget about everything for a day uh, to celebrate Easter Sunday. And then, you know, you add a game in last night. It, it seems like ULM that that series was just. <laughs> thing of the past a long time ago yeah and a game last night you know last wally Pontiff junior classic uh ever you know you guys played lsu seven times in that series and um you talked about the the disappointing game two lost ulm what happened late and it seems coach that it's it's the thing that whether you want to use the word generosity i think last night coach deggs used the word freebies but it really was that fourth inning and you said uh, on my show last week when that first guy gets on, or when you just give a base to a batter, you always feel like he's going to score. I mean, it obviously doesn't happen 100% of the time, but whether it's a walk, whether it's a hit batsman, two walks, two hits batsman, a critical error, it was that to me last night. There's a lot of other baseball played between it, but if you want to look at the moment in the game, it, it was the five-run fourth inning for LSU, and you know, whenever a team makes mistakes the other team has to capitalize so i you know no, the tigers had to capitalize there but that that to me was in and you guys fought back you made it a game but those are are those moments for you guys where when you get we've said it before right when you get rid of the freebies you can beat anybody in the country well you really can and that bit us last night and you know my theory held true again last night when we walked those guys they could have just gone to the dugout, put a run on the board. We could have saved a lot of time. We really could have because those runs come around the score, whether it be the walks, the hit batters. You know, in that in that inning, it was a, a critical error that left the that continued the inning going, and they capitalized on it. Very disappointing last night. We had a great opportunity in front of us last night, playing a, a, a quality opponent on the road. Great RPI. And we just didn't capitalize on it. We really didn't. Our 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 effort wasn't good enough offensively. It wasn't good enough on the mound with some some guys, and you know that that one big error. So just didn't do enough yesterday to deserve to win a baseball game, especially one of that magnitude. But we have another great opportunity. That's the great thing about about our sport in this game as we play so often and and so many games that we've got another great opportunity to go on the road and take on a quality opponent in Georgia State who's having an outstanding year, has an outstanding RPI, another opportunity to to make some hay, so to speak, this weekend. Yeah, and and look, the the ground ball to second that was an error last night, it was a big moment, but in in terms of some of the things that have got you guys at times this year, that hasn't been common. I mean, once once conference play, just seems like from a defensive standpoint, 
that's not something that I would say, oh, well, look look here, this is this is plaguing the team. Free bases, yes, errors. That's something that you guys haven't done a lot of in the field, uh, certainly as we've gotten deeper into the season. Um, and, you know, it, it, it happened last night. They got three unearned runs. But when you have a midweek game like that where you're playing, you know, at LSU and, and the atmosphere and everything, you've, you've played and been a part of tons of games against LSU over the years, Coach. But how does the midweek game change when it's LSU versus, um, you know, an opponent that maybe isn't ranked, doesn't have the atmosphere or the fanfare that the Tigers do? Well, you're correct. You know, we, we've been playing great defense, and the there's no doubt that the free stuff, the hit batters, the walks have plagued us a lot more than errors because we, we've got a really good fielding percentage. We're above 970, and as of late, we're even much higher than that. Been playing really good defense. It's just when when and then to answer your second question about playing a midweek opponent such as LSU or, or a, a school of that nature, you know, with a big venue and 6,000 people in the stands, they just, when those things happen, a lot of times when you play someone else, you can get away with making those errors. You know, I mean, we make only usually one error in a throughout the course of a game doesn't hurt you. But when you play a quality opponent that can make you pay for that error, it can hurt you. And that's what you saw last night. But, you know, there's an obvious difference when you play that caliber of game versus uh, another midweek game. But, but you've got to be strong enough to go out and, and compete at the highest level and, and want to be in those situations want to have an at-bat with, you know, an inning on the line, a game on the line, want to make a pitch with the game on the line. We had with some guys that that were outstanding out there. You know, Jake Hammond comes to mind. Uh, did an outstanding job last night. Pitched like the moment was definitely not too big for him. Chipper Menard had a good outing yep. uh, with the two, three hitters, you know, that he faced. Uh, and other guys, I uh, thought Cooper did okay uh, to get a start in there. Um, but but there's there's obviously a difference. But you want to try and and block all that out and just focus on on the task at hand. It's baseball, just like any other game that you play. So you've got to want to play it at the highest level, uh, compete against the best teams. Like if you're going to do anything in in late May, early June, and every once in a while into July, that's the people that you have to play. That's the people that you have to beat. So, Anthony Babineau, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Last question about, um, I guess, this is more just a, a baseball-related question as opposed to a specific UL-related question, and then I want to talk to you about Julian Brock. But to the, to the listeners, Bab, that aren't, uh, you know, Huge bait. They're, they're casual fans, right? They don't know the sport the way that you do. Uh, somebody that's, you know, had a life in the game. When you put the first batter on, regardless of who, who you are, right, regardless of your team, when that first batter gets on base and it's not because they, they got a hit, whether it's because they walked or maybe they were hit by a pitch, when that first guy's on, 
folks that maybe don't follow baseball super close are like, well, yeah, you, know, you just try to get the next three out and someone's on base, but you know, they're, they're, they got a long way to go before they get home. Right. I mean, come on. It's, it's far. Like what, it's, it's not that big of a deal, right? They can get out of this. What does it do aside from just on the surface what people see? Because there are so many, I guess, tentacles to it, right? There's so many layers to what it does and how it changes a team defensively and a pitcher go into some of the I guess deeper aside you know beyond the surface what that does to a team on the defensive side of things when the first guy gets on base and you feel like I don't say look you can earn a walk but you know what I mean you feel like they didn't earn it you feel like you just gave it to them well you mentioned you know people can say well it's going to take him a while to score I mean it's far well it's far until it isn't far because, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things, you know, that a walk hit batter, when those guys get on base, it takes less hits to score a run, obviously, because you put a runner, a free runner on base in front of them. So when you make teams earn everything they get, when they have to get on via a hit, there's only so many hits that a team can get per inning, not by rule, obviously, but just the law of averages. Coach Robichaud would say all the time, it's very, very hard to get three hits in an inning. It just really is. And as I've looked at that over the course of the 28 years that I've been involved in coaching, it's true. It's very, very tough to get three hits in an inning. So let's just say that's a rule, just for argument's sake talking about a walk or a free base. Let's just say that's a rule, that you can't get more than three hits in an inning. That's all you're allowed. Well, obviously, if you put someone on base before that hit, it disadvances them 90 more feet. And so it's, it's, it's easier to score runs. You can score runs quicker without having to – I mean, obviously, you drive them in, but that hit will drive someone in, will score a run. And then the mentality – what it does for you on the coaching side is you have to worry about stolen base. You have to worry about sacrifice fun. You have to worry about hit and run. There's so many more things that can can go on, can take place, can happen with runners on base, obviously. So, and and it's just, I think the reason why they score more often than not is is just because it takes less hits to score them. There's so many ways that that runner that you walk or put on base that didn't earn it, you know, can move up a wild pitch, a pass ball, another walk. Heaven forbid you walk another guy and you push that guy up in the scoring position without earning it. So, and then you take the pitcher, put him in the stretch. A lot of times with pitchers, velocity drops a mile an hour or two when they're in the stretch as opposed to the full windup because they don't have that the same momentum behind behind their pitches so there's just I can, I can tell you firsthand not just our dugout but any dugout when a guy walks you you can look at the coaching staff and one member if not two members, if not all members of the coaching staff, you, you can visibly see dejection 
in their faces or in their mannerisms when a pitcher gives up a walk or hits a batter. The psychological side of it is at play as well. I mean, there's there's the game part of it, but also there's there's a lot that goes into it. And I'm glad you sort of detailed all of it because I don't know. I I was I was watching and someone asked me like, oh, "What's the big deal?" I'm like, "Bab, <laughs> thinking about what you told me last week, right? When that first one gets on, more times than not, just go ahead and put him in the dugout and put a run on the board. Uh, it's it's layered." No doubt about it. ESPN Lafayette. Uh, I want to talk to you about Julian Brock, what he means to the team. Um, thinking of his sort of work while you wait mentality. Uh, Osborne comes in last year. He was terrific, right? So there's Julian, right? Working while he waits. You guys signed a catcher uh, who I think was teammates with Tyler Robertson, who, um, you know, would have projected to maybe be the guy, but he gets drafted and Julian just keeps working. And you see him not so much just numbers and things he puts up on, on, a, on a box score, but he feels to me from the outside, Bab, like a glue guy, right? Um, uh, I think Jay Walker said on one of the broadcasts, the, the straw that stirs the drink, right? You've seen Julian um, day in, day out during his season. You've seen him in the offseason. You've seen his journey to this point. What does he mean to the team, and what can you tell our listeners about the young man that maybe they wouldn't know just from watching him on the diamond? Well, I mean, you you introduced him perfectly. You really did. I mean, Julian came in a couple of seasons ago, a true freshman, and just had really the the all the intangibles of being, you know, our guy for man three to four years from from the strength, from the size, just looked like a professional catcher in college looks with the with the physicality physical wise had the looks of 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 an everyday big league catcher he really did but as it does with most freshmen it, it takes time it takes time for them to develop into the player that they ultimately will be number one and takes time for them to ultimately develop into the player that they need to be to be successful at the college level and to and to help their team their college team and julian was no different you know he came in and and he was a little a little rough behind the plate just because you know you you go from you know he caught some good catchers in high school but you move up a level, and, and the stuff is better. Um, the fastball has more sink and run. The curveball has a little bit more depth. Fastball uh, is more velocity. So, so he had some work to do on the receiving end. And right after that freshman year, we bring in Drake Osborne, and without question, Drake won the position and had an outstanding season. You know, and is still playing to this day professionally, but that didn't really sour Julian. It didn't deter him from what he wanted to do, and it didn't deter his his work ethic. He kept at it. He got better offensively. He got way better defensively. His arm strength was always there, but his accuracy got better. He just became, you know, in these these past two years 
two, two and a half years, I guess, he just honed his complete game uh, into a complete package, so to speak. You know, he's receiving really well. His blocking is tremendous. Uh, that was one of the things that he had to work on the most when he got to us. His blocking has got tremendous, not just blocking the ball, but, you know, there's blocking the ball and there's blocking the ball to where it stops right in front of you to prevent a runner from moving up on dirt ball, on ball and dirt reads. So he's gotten really good at that. His accuracy on his throws to second base, he puts the ball right on the money. He's just, his his attitude is tremendous. And we, we brought in uh, another this year uh, at midterm transfer, uh, a midterm transfer, a, a graduate student catcher, and that still didn't deter him. And and Austin Garrett is really good as well. Austin could be our everyday catcher, and, and we would be defensively. And I think you've seen it a couple of times when and Garrett has been in there. Yeah, probably just as good. Probably just as good. But but Julian has has really picked it up offensively and and provided some punch in that lineup for us. So just a testament to his work ethic, the way he was raised, brought up, you know, his, his parents, his family, tremendous family, and they've done a, a great job with him, you know, right? You can always, we all know this, you can always look back not too, too far when you look at a kid and, and how they respond to certain situations and how they act in certain situations. You can usually always look back to the family and it's no different with Julian. He's got, he's got a great one. He really does. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Assistant coach Anthony Babineau joining us now, talking a little Raging Cajun baseball. We've got him for a few more minutes here over the phone line this morning. Uh, coach, this year, the Sunbelt Conference Tournament, going back to the format, 10 teams, so two teams don't make it. One through six get a bye. Well, one through seven in the Sunbelt, they're only separated by three games. Um, and, you know, looking at three, uh, four, five, six, and seven, you know, uh, four, five, and six have the same conference record, and then seven is only a half game back with a tie. You guys are right in the mix there. Georgia State, well, they're only a game up of four, five, and six in the standings. My point is it's jam-packed. Obviously, you know, you want to you, you want to be one, but you definitely don't want to be seven, right? You don't want to have to play the single elimination game. You want to have the bye and have the double elimination just as you get to the tournament. Right, you want to win it. That's the goal. You want to be in an NCAA regional. How much do you and the staff look at the standings, sort of day to day? Is it, you know, what we can't control it. We can only control our business. So we'll just wait and see where the chips fall when all is said and done. How much of it is discussed amongst the coaching staff? Is probably the best way to ask the question. Well, it's discussed a little bit, but not a whole lot, really, because. You know, that'll get looked at a little more closely as we get closer to the end. You know, the second half of the conference season starts this weekend, so there's 15 more games to go. Our goal, obviously, like I mentioned earlier and I mentioned all the time, and, and is to win the league. And that starts with a league championship, a regular season championship. So, you know, we've got to take care of, of business at hand. A great opportunity this weekend to 
grab the team that's on top right now, and we can't climb above them this weekend, obviously. But um, you know, we can we can we can catch them with a sweep, uh, but we can also get a tiebreaker over them. Um, you know, and I don't even know what's what's. I know they were ten and two at one. They're not ten and two now. Uh, that's only 12 games um, this weekend. Did they get swept this weekend, I, I believe, uh, by Georgia Southern, possibly? Um, so they're 10 and 5. Yeah, I think that's Georgia, correct. Georgia, Georgia State, um, Georgia State and, is 10 and 5. They're only a game up in the conference standings. So, so we can't, yeah, so we can't overtake them uh, yep. with a great weekend. Yep. So, you know, but, but we really concern ourselves with what we're doing. We, we feel like if, if if we're at the top of our game, uh, we play clean baseball and, and are not generous, as that word generous that, that we use, then we can compete with anybody. We really feel that way. So it doesn't really matter what our opponent is doing. I, I can't. I know me personally. I don't. I can't tell you the right besides besides ten and five that I just told you uh, that Georgia State was, and us being nine and six. I, I can't tell you anybody's record in the league i really can't because um well for me there's a you know i've and for all of us really there's, there's a lot of other things to worry about not just myself but the rest of the coaching staff with trying to get scouting reports um trying to get video on on the guys that we're facing the teams that we're facing the recruiting aspect end of it that the guys are constantly doing so there, there's a lot more that goes into it um but you obviously the the opponent that you're playing that particular week, you're gonna know you know everything there is to know about them on a week by week basis. Anthony Babineau has been our guest, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. All right, Bab, last question, not a baseball question: uh, dog or cat? Dog. All right, good. Thank God. Whew, that was. Oh, I mean, I'm not surprised, but I'm just, I'm just glad that was the response. I'm just, I don't know. You don't, you don't, you don't strike me as a cat guy, Bab. I mean, you just don't. No, no. Uh, I don't dislike cats, I guess. Just, I've never owned one. Um, But, but yeah, definitely dog. I thought this was going to keep going too. You're going to ask other ones, but I guess it's just that one. So no, no, no. We're we're just talking domesticated, like animals that are common and you have it. I'm not going to get into like horse or donkey or any of that stuff. We're just, you know, we're just, we're not going to overthink it. Just dog or cat. He's rolling with the dog. I appreciate it, man. Safe travels to Atlanta. I know the next two weekends you guys have long road trips, but um, again, safe travels and appreciate you taking the time as always on Wednesdays, talk a little cage of baseball with us, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Scotty. Thanks, buddy. Have a Thank great you. day. Anthony Babineau has been our guest. Rage cage of baseball, taking on Georgia State this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Earlier start times than normal: five p.m. Friday, so four thirty pregame; three o'clock Saturday, two thirty pregame, and then ten a.m. on Sunday, nine thirty pregame. Those will be airing on. News Talk 96.5 KPEL, powered by Learfield. And then on the other side of it, Raging Cajun Softball will be in action today against Indiana as they continue that Midwest road trip. Uh, One o'clock today. First pitch got moved up due to expected rain in the forecast up in Bloomington, Indiana. So the Cajuns who are on uh, game six of the, or rather game seven 
uh, all just road games, have Indiana tonight, and then they've got App State this Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Those games earlier, 4 o'clock Friday, 1 o'clock Saturday, 11 a.m. Sunday, pregame 15 minutes prior. Uh, all of those are in right here on ESPN Lafayette. Huge win last night for the softball team as um, <clears throat> they beat number 25 Illinois on the road. Had an early one nothing lead. Illinois tied it in the second. Cajuns get a, a, a run in the sixth on a pass ball and then... Can they hold on to the 2-1 lead? Megan Schwarman comes in. Illinois gets one run on the bottom of the seventh. How does Louisiana respond? Alexa Langlier's huge two RBI double in extras, and then Schwarman shut it down one, two, three inning in the bottom of the eighth. Cajuns win. They're eighth in a row. Indiana today, 1 p.m. first pitch, 12.45 pregame. Ian Ozan has the call, and you can hear it right here on ESPN. Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. When we come back, opening up phone lines, 337-269-1077. You can hit me up via email, scott at espnlafayette.com. Sean Payton squashed some rumors, or at least he tried to, yesterday when talking about rumors that the Miami Dolphins wanted to team him up with Tom Brady. Jerry West is really mad at HBO and the Pelicans. Even up this series, Brandon Ingram goes off last night. It's tied one-to-one. We're talking about all of it right here on The Great Scott Show. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Everybody that came in the game, you guys did your job. And most importantly, once again, we keep saying it. We talked about it in the shoot-around, but keeping our poise and staying together. Staying together through it all. They made their runs. We just kept playing. Jackson, way to come in and play big. Everybody. Hey, keep believing in each other. This is what it's about. Okay, you guys are freaking... Killers, keep grinding like you're doing, okay? This is amazing to be a part of. We got, we going home. You know it's going to be rocking. So let's get out here. Yeah. Welcome back in to the Great Scott Show. Coming at you on a Wednesday. 
Phone lines open 337-269-1077. You can email me as well. Scott at ESPNLafayette.com. Pelicans victorious last night over the Suns. We talked a lot about that in the first hour. Really the main topic of conversation. Um, Other things on the docket as well. We'll get into Jerry West and Sean Payton in a second. Troy emails. He says, high school softball at its best. How is this even possible? He sent me a, (laughs) I hadn't seen this until he sent it to me. You had a softball playoff game last night uh, in high school between Centerville and West St. John, and they scored 60 combined runs. Yeah. Centerville won 35-25, to 25, not a football score. There were 49 walks and 20, 20 players that were hit by a pitch. My God. Yeah, but oh, you know, the split's good, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Sheesh. Sheesh. Jerry West, the logo. See, Jerry West ain't happy. And no, it's not because the Lakers were, you know, underwhelming and underperformed and a disappointment this year. Maybe he was disappointed in that. I don't know. It's because of how he is portrayed in the HBO series winning time that Adam McKay is um, producing and making for HBO. I haven't, I haven't watched any episodes. I'll be honest. I haven't watched any episodes. I, I know the show is based off of Jeff Perlman's book, Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s. Now, I love Perlman's but I've only read two of Perlman's books, one on the Mets and the one on the Cowboys, and I loved it. I loved both of those books. I haven't read the Lakers one. But apparently in the series, you have Magic Johnson and Kareem and Michael Cooper and Mitch Kupchak and all of them in real life, not the actors, but the actual individuals wrote a letter as well as part of a lawsuit Jerry West filed. I'm sorry, it's not a lawsuit yet. He sent a letter to HBO and Adam McKay asking them to write a detailed piece and a retraction and an apology within two weeks of how he's portrayed in it. From what I understand, he's portrayed as sort of this raging alcoholic, and he was um, not like that. He was portrayed as not wanting to draft Magic Johnson, which they all claim is not true either. I don't know. Maybe he's looking at this stuff like some folks look at Oliver Stone movies, like Nixon or JFK, like, well, it's fiction, but maybe folks will just believe it. I believe that's how it really was. I haven't seen the series. I haven't really heard much about it either. I thought I'd, I thought I would have heard more people talking about it. I mean, maybe it's if enough people tell me to check it out. I will once it, once all the episodes air. I don't I don't want to do this episodic thing. Said to the phone lines. Good morning. Welcome into the show. Hello. Uh, this uh, NBA season. This is the is this the last year with that play in stuff? No. So they going for it with this? Yeah. It's a joke, man. Uh, for the simple fact that I think they need to, if they're going to keep it, they need to, they need to, uh, they need to make some changes, man. They need to alter it. For the simple fact that, if first of all, why seven seed have to even play into a play-in? They're the seven seed. If, if you're going to have it, why not battle out between the eighth and ninth seed? And then if the ninth seed is 
five or more games behind. They shouldn't even they shouldn't even play for a play in. Yeah, yeah. You're bothered by it. I get it. Oh yeah, I'm bothered by it. For the simple fact that like I said, man, hopefully I was hoping this team would have got swept. Why do you hate time, the Pel- why, no, why, why do you hate the Pelicans? Why, why do you why are you bothered? Why are you bothered by the fact that they won a game and the fans are excited? Uh, like like I said, man, they, they they're winning. I can't take anything. No, no, away. but answer the uh, question. Why does it injury, bother you? Depart- why does it bother you that game. fans are excited about? It? I know they've been missing their All Star all season. I know about injuries. Why does it bother you that people are excited that they're that they that they won a playoff game? Uh, it's, last not, night? it's not bothering me. Uh, you know, you dude, bothering. you literally just said I was hoping they would be swept. Well, yeah, that that don't mean that it's bothering me <laughs> because I want a team to get swept. We root, you root against teams, right? So what are you talking about bothering me? It's not bothering me. I mean, it's, it's the it's, idea that it's the idea that man, you have these fair weather fans. They want to knock on certain players that's no longer there. Right. Uh, so you're still people, bo- you're still bothered by how fans reacted to AD, and that's why you that's why you root against the Pelicans. Like and I said, man. If I'm that's it, I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't feel that way. I'm just I'm just asking you if that's why you feel that way. That's fine. I mean, but I, I was just curious. Like I said, I'm at uh, watch Friday. Um, I don't know what a scoring is going to come from with Phoenix with uh, Booker, Booker being out because Booker, depending on his hamstring, he's he's nagged up, man. He can't you can't rush an injury like that back. Hamstrings are uh, hamstrings are tough. You never like you could be out there, you could do all the stretching, everything between games, and then it can just give out on you like that. Um, no, that's that's the biggest that's the from a national standpoint, it's the biggest story in this series right now, without question. Because if he can't play, I'm not saying the Pelicans are winning the series. I'm I know a lot of people are already going there. I'm not going that far. But it, it, it doesn't just change the series. It changes Phoenix's entire outlook for the whole postseason. I mean, they're the best record in the NBA. Take away their best player. I mean, Derrick Rose was an MVP. He goes out in the first game of a series years ago, and suddenly they're bounced in the first round. It just it changed everything. Now, I think that Bulls team was maybe more reliant on Derrick Rose. That's nothing against Booker. You know, they didn't have a, a Chris Paul like the Suns do. But their chances of winning a title without Devin Booker, I mean, I three percent, two percent. I mean, it it changes vastly. Uh, the Western Conference uh, playoff uh, race um, was already weak this year. To be honest with you, um, and I think if Booker is out, it's going to make it easier for the Golden for the Warriors to represent the Western Conference. Um, I was pulling for Denver, man, but Denver's too. They, it's, <laughs> Denver's just too much, man. I think Jokic should win MVP again. But I think Denver just, with no Murray, no Porter, you can't really do anything. And I, I would love to see Jokic just get one off on uh, Draymond Green. Uh, that's, that's that's what that's the only thing I'm hoping now for this series. But um, <laughs> other than that, man, I don't know, man. I'm just hopefully some someone on the East can do something this year uh, again. But uh, I'm not. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not knocking the joy of uh, Pelican fans. That they're going to root for who they want to root for, but no, they're going to root for their team, <laughs> and they're going to root against the Lakers for reasons that you you can you can at least understand. You don't have to agree with it, but you can at least understand. <laughs> like I said, man, I just uh, we'll, we'll see what happens Friday, man, because um, you just never know with the Pelicans. Uh, a certain player might get hurt. So you just never know. And I'm not hoping any of that. I no. Think Look, Ingram missed 27 injured. games this year. Zion missed every game. I mean, it. The, the 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 most healthy player on the teams this year has been Valanchunas and Herb Jones. But 
Um, and and maybe look, maybe Booker's okay. Maybe he plays the rest of the games in this series. Uh, we don't know, but if he doesn't play, this series could go a lot longer than people anticipated. Chris Paul, what, what was uh, and you know what's so funny, man? I saw a stat before the game. Uh, Scott Foster, he was officiating this game, and Chris Paul twelve games in a row. Not two and, 13, two and fifteen lifetime in games Foster has officiated. One of which was even back when Chris Paul was still in the Hornets. So, yeah, it, Paul Paul does not like uh, games that he officiates. Now, I want to say the the last one in the playoffs, it was last season, and it was like, I think it was a must-win game for Phoenix, and everybody's like, uh-oh, they're going to lose. They ended up winning it. But that's what does that say that, like, on one, fans, on one hand, fans boo a ref, but on the other, it's like your your record in games with this particular player playing is – Two and fifteen lifetime. That's that's pretty bad. Like I say, him and Tony Brothers are some of the. Uh, I, I think they need to get invested. I think they should get investigated. Uh, I really don't trust those referees, especially those two. And uh, you have a good one, and thank you. ESPN Lafayette best ticketed sports. Brandon Ingram been waiting for a playoff game. Somebody emailed earlier. Clark says Scott. Are playing games not considered playoff games? I mean, it's all semantics, but technically they are not. Um, play-in games are considered postseason games, but not playoff games. And you could say, well, that's ridiculous. They're the same thing. Are they, I mean, po- a bowl game is a postseason game. It's not a playoff game. The way the play-in game works is that the stats don't actually go anywhere. They don't get... They don't get counted for the regular season. You only get games 1 through 82 for that. But they also don't get registered for the postseason for a team or a player or whatever. They're just kind of there. I don't. I mean, it's not like the NBA is going to open up their own branch of all-time playing games. That Someone will. I'm sure a live sports bureau will have that. But the stats actually don't count for one or the other. It's not like, the, it's not like Willie Green is 2-0 and lifetime in playoff games as a head coach he's one and one or i should say three and one rather no he's one and one the playing games are sort of this entirely separate entity i like the playing games this year work out for the team i root for there is something about some teams getting hot down the stretch playing their way in other teams struggling but you also need to take into account an entire 82 game season to this point in two years of the play-in Seven seeds have won every one of their games. The first game, they're in. Eighth seed, the last two years, in the Western Conference, has lost. Last year it was the Warriors. They lost to the Grizz. This year the Clippers. They lost to the Pelicans. Speaking of Brandon Ingram, rough year early, but he always felt like they'd be there. Throughout this year, I had confidence that we we would be here. Um, I didn't know what it would look like, but we continue to get better um, every single day with um, really being positive every single day and helping guys and teaching guys every single day. Um, and I just feel like feel like it's our time. It's our time to continue to get better, continue to get better for this organization, continue to build um, for for next game, and just um, we have a we have a really really good group of guys that want to get better. So to be on this stage and continuing to have success is, um, is, is great for us. 
when we come back. Sean Payton trying to squash some rumors. Not trying to. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't even care. Maybe he does. Who knows? But he did address some rumors. Speaking of the Saints, they got a visit today from a five-time Pro Bowl receiver who's from New Orleans. Matty Sign. We'll dig into that next. This is ESPN Lafayette. Great Scott Show. Best ticket in sports. Don't go anywhere. Hey, this is Rich Eisen. You can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to 3 on The Rich Eisen Show. Hey, sports fans, this is Rich Eisen reminding you to catch The Rich Eisen Show every weekday from 12 to 3 on ESPN Lafayette. Now, back to more of The Great Scott Show with Scott Prather. the great scott show espn lafayette best ticket in sports espn lafayette 1033 on the fm 1420 on the am streaming worldwide via the espn lafayette app if you're listening to us via the stream that is brought to you by champagne's market and the oil center champagne's going the extra mile sean payton hanging out of the zurich classic was asked about the rumors regarding miami ownership wanting to team him up With Tom Brady in Miami, Peyton said uh, he has no clue about the rumor, only that he does know the Dolphins requested to interview him and that the request was denied by New Orleans. Jarvis Landry, former LSU Tiger, five-time Pro Bowler, scheduled to visit the Saints today. We all know they need help at the wide receiver position. That would help. I see some folks on the timeline like, ah, you don't need Jarvis Landry. You don't want him. Um, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Got time for another phone call before we wrap up this edition of the Great Scott Show. Good morning. Welcome in. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. I told you, Scott. I wasn't just saying it. I'm telling you, that team matches up with the with the, uh, with the Suns, man. They've got, they've got the kind of players that match up with the Suns, and they can beat the Suns in that series. Well, they got the kind of coach, too, and him having been there before helps. And the fact that when Phoenix well, I, goes I, big or small, that the Pelicans are continuing to own the boards, that's that's the big – to me, that's that's the biggest positive that, takeaway in this whole series that's because what I was, it can continue. That's what, I, that's what I was trying to tell you. They They're going to give – they can attack the paint. They can they can own the paint. That's the thing. They got to keep attacking the. They got to keep attacking in the middle of the of the of the field, or the, at the at the at the post. And if they continue to do that, they're going to disrupt what the Suns do because the Suns rely with that with those guards. They rely on a transition game that they're not getting able to get into like they want. And if if Booker's, I don't know, if Booker's out for any amount of time, it changes everything. I, changes everything. I give, I give, I give the edge. I changes easily everything. give the edge to the Pelicans from here on out. And, uh, and hey, they're good. I, I I cannot believe that this team that we're actually talking about this team right now, and they were so bad, and the change is so I, I, I'm like stunned. 
I can't even believe this is the same Will, team. Willie Green said at the beginning off. of the season, we're going to be very different in February than we are to start the season. We're going to have to go through growing pains. We're going to have to learn some things. And that was before the team knew they wouldn't even have Zion Williamson. Well, Willie Green was right. Well, I mean, they're totally different well, team in, in, in 2022 than they were in 2021. Once January well, kind of hit, you started to see some of it. I hope they get rid of Zion and go get him another player because Zion is never going to fit in with this team. He doesn't have what it takes. He doesn't want it. And if you don't want it and you don't have it, then there's no use in trying to fit that big into that team. Let him go. I mean, you don't have to have He's not doing you any good. So, all right, later, Chief. All right. All right. I don't agree with that. I think it's a bit harsh. Time will tell. You add him to the mix, what does the team need to take another step, get another superstar? Hello? Now, if you don't want to be there, sure. Go in another direction. But Zion's going to be playing next season, guys, in New Orleans. I'm just telling you, it's going to happen. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. That is it for the Great Scott Show. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. James Butler. Supposed to come in sometime today and record with me. We'll visit with him. Gerald Broussard. The G-Man going to be in as well. It's all coming your way tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. The Dan Patrick Show's next on ESPN Lafayette. The following businesses proudly support the broadcast of UL Athletics on ESPN 1420 and News Talk 96.5 KPL. Doug Ashey Building Materials. Ernie Insurance. Fisher Early Childhood. Jeremy's Flooring. Golfballs.com. Harrison Paint. Support these businesses that support the Raging Cajuns broadcast of all UL Athletics all season long. If your business would like to be a part of our UL Booster sponsorship, call Pam Begno at 233-6000.